What's going on, people? It's comedian Alan Massenberg. This is the Mass Hysterical Show. Yes, I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Should I turn my camera this way? Boom. Boom. Yeah, I want I want to hold it this way for y'all. So look, you know what I mean? My man, my main man Joey not here. Yeah, I mean, producing behind the boards. So so I'm going I'm going to be producing, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot it's a lot of stuff going on right now, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the world has been been ablaze, you know what I'm saying, last week, last week or two, you know what I'm saying? So I want to thank y'all for rocking out with me, you know what I'm saying? I know y'all ain't got much to do. I ain't got much to do neither, you know what I'm saying? So like we going we going to get this thing rocking. So on this episode of the Mass Hysterical Show, man, I got a very, very special guest, man. She is talented, very funny, hardworking. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the host of the comment section, Nicole Phoenix, y'all. Give it up, y'all. Give it up. Oh, that was a great intro, Alan. Hey, what's going on? Oh, thank thank you. I'm I'm doing good. How, How about yourself? I'm good. I was impressed. You did your research. You know the name of my show. I was like, "Oh snap! Come on, production team." <laughs> See, um, look, you didn't think. Yeah. I remember I sent you. I sent you the uh, the text to set up the this this yeah. show. You didn't think that I had a production team, but I do. <laughs> because I I fake the funk, and I'd be like, "My production team is gonna get to you." It's literally me, just from like my show's Gmail. So I. <laughs> I'm very professional, but it's literally a one-woman team. So I was very impressed. I was like, oh, it's an actual email from someone else. <laughs> very professional operation. Thank you yes. for having me. Yes, yes. So we are on uh, Soul Joel TV. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They got, we got a whole uh, production team, comedy club. You know, So it's a whole a whole little backing helping me out here. So it's just not me. You know what I'm it's saying? Um, so like I said, you are the host of the comedy mm-hmm. section. Um, so, um, you you host comedy shows, you, you produce comedy shows. I, I have done that as well. Tell me what you don't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> about hosting or producing? Both. Like, Both. what don't you, like, just the being, being the host producer, you know what I'm saying? Like, the worst part about being a host for me is my attention span. We have done shows together. Uh-huh. So I think you know that I can't stay in one place for too long. Like, I just get very cagey. And yeah. so the hardest part for me, and I don't do it anymore, is hosting a show with more than, like, four or five performers. Right. Because right. then I just feel trapped. I feel like I'm not even really paying attention to the to the performers, which is dangerous and bad because you can come on stage and, like, step on somebody's joke or yeah. just misrepresent them or whatever the case may be. So it's just hard for me to stay in one place. Even shows where I have to stay in the green room, I'm like, give us three. I need out. <laughs> like, I can't. Because I like to be around people. I Most times I know the people on the lineup. Y'all my homies. Hey, what's up? I want to get a drink. I want to smoke a cigarette. I want right. to circulate. But when you're hosting, you have to be extremely present and, like, right off to the stage and, like, right. ready. Because people will go over. People will go under the time. I've run from the bathroom. You know what I mean? Should we get to the stage because someone was booked for 20 minutes and gave us a solid 12, you know? So. Uh, that's the worst. That is the worst. You ever you ever book somebody that you know is funny, but they just had yeah. an off night? You had a, They had an off night? Yeah. <laughs> and I usually, and when I'm hosting, I usually give them the biggest hype up ever. It's like, y'all not ready for this. I'm telling you, this is this is my ace right here. They are the funniest person on the planet. And then I'll get up on stage and be like, yeah, I ain't about to do shit. I'm like, oh my God. And then they want to apologize to you, like, Nicole, I'm so sorry. But, it, but we all have off nights, 
Um, yeah. But it's usually, I've had that happen to me when people are like, come into the stage. The woman is hilarious. And then I just like poo poo on the stage and be like, you know, <laughs> keep your $10, bro. I'm good. I'll just stop. <laughs> like, I'm all right. Um, she said poo 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 on the stage. Poo pooed on the stage. Just like, what happened there? Like, after yeah. like an NFL game, y'all remember those? When they just oh. like, <laughs> when the commentators and the reporters like, so, Alan, what happened out there? I really feel like. I'm talking to myself that way, like in the mirror, in the bathroom, drunk, like Nicole. <laughs> Minute three, just, what happened there? What, what, I, what, just, what? I just dropped the ball. I don't know. <laughs> Go home and get chicken wings in my bed. Yes. Mm. Did you see? Look, you brought up you brought up the NFL. Did you sure see? Did. The, did you see that they admitted that Colin Kaepernick was right after all these years? Did you see oh, that? Oh my God! This is such the way of the world, and this is kind of like dealing with the insanity of living in a white supremacist society. Is knowing uh-huh. things are true all the time, and just having to live in the delusion or yeah. be considered crazy because you're telling the truth. It's like one of those two things. Black people deal with it all the time. So, Colin Kaepernick, can we calculate how much money he has lost over the past few years, saying exactly what the Yes, NFL is making tweets about now. Look, I think that his contract, his contract, his contract was like forty million dollars. Give him, give him his money. That was pure racial discrimination, and he needs his money. Pay it out. I don't know who needs to pay it out, but pay it out. It was like, it was like, uh, what was it? It was like a six-year period, forty million dollars or something like that. It was some, it was something crazy. You know what I'm saying? And the whole commission, the whole NFL colluded against him to make sure that he could not work and he had to wait out his contract. Give that man his money. I don't care if he got, I don't care who else gave him money. I don't care about Nike contracts. Give him his money. If this was a white collar situation and he was like a CEO or something like that, and or he was a member of a company, and he was trying to be what they call a whistleblower. And it came out later that they fired him or prevented him from working in his industry, his whole industry. You right. blacklisted him. That's that's a racial discrimination case publicly playing out for years, and everybody's just like, "Yeah, he was kind of right." Like, <laughs> wow, yes, I agree one hundred and ten percent with everything you said. Give him his <laughs> money. All black people all summer. We want our money. I don't care. I want my money. I want my money. You want? Do you want your reparations? I want my reparations, and I want it now. Call <laughs> JG Wentworth. I'm not. I just got a settlement from a job that I worked four years ago, and they admitted that they overworked us, and I got paid. I shouldn't be saying this on the <laughs> internet because now people are gonna be like, "Hey, can I get twenty dollars?" Um, right, right. But like working that job, I knew that we were being overworked, and it took right. four years. And one amazing person, shout out to Gwen, who opened a class action case for all of us employees, um, and we finally got our back pay. So pay him his wow. money. Shout out to Gwen for getting the call. Shout out to Gwen. That check came right on time. It came. That check came literally the day after. I think we supposed to lock down for Corona. I said, "Wow, God is so good." Oh, better better late. Listen, 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 better late than never. You know what I'm saying? But but never late is better. You know. Yeah, Um, but sticking your neck out as a black person to tell the truth is dangerous, and you really do risk your livelihood doing so. Yeah, listen, man. Um, it's very dangerous. We've we've been living this way. All our lives, and we we understood how it's been being black people. But this is the first time in history that I've that I've seen mm-hmm. that I feel like I feel like white people are trying to understand. Like I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I've been I've been getting messages and and everything from people telling me they understand and they're sorry and 
Yeah. Have you been getting any any feedback from your, your white friends? So uh, we could break down the term white friends for about 50 minutes, but we won't do that. <laughs> we won't do that. And we won't talk about white allyship right now. Um, but the people in my life who I consider friends and colleagues um, mm-hmm. and associates who are white complected have <laughs> reached out to me personally just with a myriad of responses and things. Um, some of them were really awesome. Some of them started with like, don't feel like you need to respond to me. And I was like, wow, I wasn't going to anyway. So this is perfect. <laughs> um, so some of them have obviously read some articles, watched a, you know, read some to, you know, a book, um, watched a CNN update and they've right, gotten right. some basic tools about how to just start talking about this really difficult thing that everybody, well, most white people just ignored their entire life. <laughs> then I have other folks who tried. They tried and I'm just nothing. Fortunately, I'm seeing a lot of my black friends online talking to their white friends about racism and educating them. I've uh-huh. been blessed all the, and that might be just like from the way I operate in life right. and whether, whatever your color is, if you not with the black shit, then we can't be friends. So Period. all of my white friends, they are more hyped than I am. Like they've been on this stuff. And so this is not a new conversation. This isn't awkward. This isn't their timid way of like trying to get some white guilt pressure off of them. They legit are just like, so here we are again, girl. And I am sorry. What do you want me to donate to? What are we doing? Like what's going on? So, Mm -hmm. and I've seen a lot of them just having conversations with people, mutual comedians and friends and handling that for me because I can't. Those, I feel like those are your, your white friends like i feel mm-hmm. I, so when you say like we can talk about friends in different you got associates you got co-workers you got all you got comedians it's levels, you got it's you got you got actually been in my house it's levels it's levels right. but what it sounds like is the people that you that have reached out to you it sounds like they, they're the real they're real allies it seems like they you know what i mean that's what they, they're saying like hey i know you don't you should them telling you not to respond is kind of seem like they're taking the power back but it is what it is you know what i mean um, I think for me, it just alleviates the burden of feeling like you need to respond, right? Especially in like a, maybe a professional situation. If uh-huh. it's a friend or somebody you know personally and they text you and you don't get back to them for three days, it's like whatever. But a right. lot of times these communications are for the person sending them, not the person receiving them, right? So 100%. They, you know what I mean? So that whole engaging you in the first place is so that you can respond to them and we can start this dialogue that we've been having for 400 years, not doing right. it, Right. But right. if you reach out to me, this is the same thing you do when someone is grieving, right? When someone has lost a family member or a friend, you reach out, you say, hey, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Please don't feel any need to respond. Just know I'm thinking about you. I love you. Let me know what you need. I cook. You know what I mean? That type of thing. If you come with that. No, for real. If you I come with that. I cook. Take plates. But right. these are the types of things when somebody is deeply, genuinely hurt. Those are the types of statements that don't come across as I'm doing this to perform and show you that I'm a good white person as opposed to you're my friend and this is fucked up and I don't know what to do, but I'm here. There's a different I appreciate conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate I appreciate that second one when you say like I don't know what to do, but you're my friend and I'm here. I, I appreciate that one as opposed that's what to what friends do. Right. They don't send right. you articles. They don't <laughs> they don't tag you in these three paragraph long rants about how their parents are racist or whatever it is. That's not what friends do. Friends come to you as friends, regardless right. of the situation. So if you're a random person, we never really chopped it up. You can stay out my inbox. I don't need Thank this you. right now. Yes, I listen. That's that's the one. Like, 
you're not when if you're not really my genuine friend by reaching out and telling me you understand that makes you look so bad like it Stop. does it's just, you, you ain't got to do it you, I, i'm pretty sure you got closer black people you're closer to they don't than me. They and do if you not. don't if you don't though that's the problem you're the yeah. problem and like how you don't have any black friends with 13 percent of the population like how is that possible and in a city like Philadelphia, we're gonna get even deeper than that. We make up at least 44%. Black people make up 44% of the population in right. Philadelphia. White people make up less than like 34. So mm -hmm. wait a minute, hold on. We are the majority population in Philadelphia. And I think people always skip over that fact. And if you're yeah. in center city in certain spaces, you wouldn't even see that. But this is a right. black ass city. So you know black people, you work with black people, you live with black people you just have lived a life where you look at them as coworkers and people on your, in your neighborhood and not friends nice. and not people that you actually connect with. There are those right. people over there. So if so, you don't have, you don't have any friends that are out of the 44%, that means you're making a deliberate effort to not have them as friends. Like, <laughs> I kind of feel like if you're white, it's not even necessarily deliberate. It's just the way your life is lived. You live in a white neighborhood. You have white friends. You have all, you work in an all white organization and none of this has ever struck you as odd because our world is segregated so right. it's really not weird you actually sometimes do have to go out your way and feel really uncomfortable in situations where everybody doesn't look like you so even in and so in philly though in philly though mm -hmm. do you think do you think a, a white person can live and work in philly and legit just not have any black friends not by choice like just just by coincidence like, I feel like I feel like in Philly, if you're a white person with no black friends, you're that's trying a really choice. hard. You're trying that's really hard. Yeah, because yeah. we everywhere. We are every. There's always at least <laughs> one fabulous black woman at every rich per party I ever been to. She's, <laughs> she's, she's the coolest person you've ever met, and they keep her around for just such purposes. Like, right. oh my god, have you met Gwen? Like, I'm not gonna use Gwen, again, but Gwen is amazing. Gwen's a, Gwen's a ally, huh? Gwen's everywhere, <laughs> but for real, like. It, you do have to be trying really hard in a city like Philadelphia. If you're in Bumblefuck, Minnesota somewhere, maybe you do have to try a lot harder. And maybe right. you met your first black person when you were 21 or 18 and you went off to college. Mm -hmm. But in a right. city like Philly, there's no excuse. We literally live in and amongst each other in these small, segregated little pockets right. of the city. And we come together for certain things. Gotcha. Right. Now, um, I like to tell people that uh, when it comes to this ally conversation, there has there if you really are an ally there should be moments in your life where you can pinpoint like oh this is me right here being an ally to a black person now yeah. i say i say that because one of my best friends man is a white guy and i can pinpoint 10 different times where he has risked his life his yeah. freedom his freedom his money for for me other black people you know what i'm saying so i like to tell white people like if you can't really pinpoint any time like it's the issue, you know. what I'm saying, like, my, my listen, my white friend in college, he actually beat up somebody for me because mm -hmm. if I if I would have done it, I would have got kicked out of school because I would have got kicked out of school because the the rules is if you if you live on campus and you get into a fight, you expel. But he was a commuter, so mm. so he whooped that guy's ass for me. I was like, that is an ally. That is an ally, right? There. Yeah, you know <laughs> for sure. And I think when we talk about that, if you've not risked anything because when you are a, a black person a person of color someone from the gay community a queer person you are in a risky situation all the time period right. just just by the nature of the world that we live in so if you have not intersected and actually done an action to counter all of the stuff that 
um, the person risks just by existing, you really haven't done anything. That goes for black people too. We are right. allies. We are allies and we need to be allies for other black folks who don't look like us or live like us, that don't have the same education, that don't have the same, you know, uh, what do you call it? Sexual orientation or gender. This is this allyship goes across the board. Across and the so board, it yeah. doesn't stop at white people. It doesn't stop there. It stops at all of us knowing that all of us carry like a little bit of privilege um, and that we need to use that to protect the person next to us who doesn't. We're not there yet. We're not anywhere near there. But Agreed. You, yeah, but if you say as a black person, I don't have any privilege, use a lie. Right. You don't. If you have <laughs> a job, you have privilege over someone who's been unemployed. If you have a college education, you're privileged over someone who only has a high school diploma. So we gotta we gotta get into that as well. Everybody got privilege some kind of way. Now yes. this what we're gonna do right now, we're gonna we're gonna switch it up. I got yes. a segment, got a segment on my show. It's called Questions from My Kids. Okay. okay. I love it. Now, now, it's exactly what it is. I got two daughters. They're 12 and 8 years old. And I ask them every week to ask my guest questions. Your girls is ruthless. I am scared. <laughs> I'm so scared because you are an internet celebrity. So, like, we don't know your girls, but we know what they oh. put you through and the questions yeah. they ask. So, I'm very nervous. Tell them I say, hey. Oh. Uh, listen, they ask me like that. So, what what did your guests say? What's the answers? So, they be wanting to okay. know. You know what I'm All saying? Right. So, Arla, here's my, here's my first question from an 8-year-old. She yeah. wants to know... What is the the most like? She didn't know, what's the most extensive? What have you done to cover up the, a lie? Like, what's the biggest thing you've done to cover up a lie? That's what Ooh. she wanted to say. Okay, I shouldn't give this tip, but technology is a little different. Um, so what's your eight year old daughter's name? My daughter's name is Savannah. Savannah. Um, yeah. when I was a little bit older than you, I was really smart. I've always been a really smart kid, but I was super lazy. And so I could sit in class all day, daydream, whatever. Teacher call on me, hi. You know what I mean? Like whatever the answer is, it's like right. 70 to 76. I was just like that type of kid. But when right. it came to homework, I'm not doing it. And I'm actually still <laughs> kind of the same way. I just, so, so much of my grades would suffer because I literally just was not doing my work. And my theory right. was if I'm smart enough to pass the test and I'm grading above like the, whatever the little percentile, if I'm in a 90, whatever percentile, do I really need to do this work? And no one could convince me otherwise other than what? Compliance. Okay. So right. I was on academic probation and I used to get in trouble, um, not even for like bad stuff, but just because of grades, I was uh, in detention for like a year. I was in detention for a whole school year because wow. I refused to do my work. Um, shout out. No, not shout out. Fuck you to um, oh, what was her name? <laughs> I can't even remember her name right now, but she was my language arts teacher. She was terrible. And I'm looking back, she was only 21 years old. She was literally oh. fresh. Yeah, she was young, younger than me right now. Um, and she like, there was this policy that you had to write out our student pledge however many times before detention was over, it would just like roll over. So I would mm -hmm. never finish. And I was like literally in detention for a whole school year. Right. I used to run home. I was a latchkey kid. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, um, it was the 80s and 90s, and people just let their kids walk home from school, <laughs> just turn on PBS and wait till you, your parents get home. Yep. Um, so I would run. I would literally run from the bus home um, to unplug the um, phones so that if they told me that my parent, like that they were calling yep. home, like oh i'm calling home so i would run home i would either delete the voicemails because we had the old school uh with the tape in it the little tape yeah. in it so yeah. you could, like, rewind yeah this i'm old you know <laughs> like i'm old so i would either I do that or when we got caller id i would just unplug the whole caller id 
Right. Like I would just unplug the back because then it would you would and my mom wouldn't know that the school had called like ten times that day. Right. So it was just a it was a long lie. It took a lot of energy. I probably lost like 10 pounds running from my bus to my house. <laughs> and just the sheer panic every night of like, oh God, is she gonna find out? Of course mm-hmm. they're gonna find out. You're my mom, but um it was just a lot of work and it was just anxiety every day. Like, oh and I couldn't just do my homework, but I was listen, like, so I'm pretty sure I'm probably not gonna I'm not gonna tell my daughter this don't answer, do that. okay? I'm don't, not, don't, <laughs> she's don't, not gonna don't. be running home trying to delete messages. Off my phone, no. <laughs> she'll find a remote app or something like that. These kids are smart. Whatever the 2020 version of this is, is doable. I don't know what it is, but intercepting emails probably, or something, I don't know. Listen, it's probably like you can give the school a, f- a fake phone number that calls mm. you, that calls your phone or something crazy. Ooh, like catfish, yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, these kids yeah. are smart. They just won't apply it to actual schoolwork. I am. <laughs> <laughs> evidence of that like literally so smart and just refuse to do my dumb ass work so yeah. don't tell her that you can tell her <laughs> and look that that reminds me your your child your schoolhood reminds me of my school like i definitely hated doing homework like so i, I can relate it. to that i can relate to that so my, my i realized i was a little adhd and i still am and so someone could have helped me with that but in yeah. you know i was a girl i was black it was like the 90s so i was just lazy I was just right. smart, which don't make no sense. Smart and lazy. That's probably like so many misdiagnosed children who just may do smart as hell, but just like couldn't just concentrate. Lazy. Get lazy. That's, yeah. That's, I that's, that's just like, could not concentrate. I was the same way. And my 12 my year old daughter, she's kind of picking that up from me. And like my dad tells her, like, you don't, you, your dad was the same way. He ain't want to do homework. I'm like, don't tell her that. Cause like now she's going to be like, damn, I'm just like you. Dude, mm-hmm. I tell my little cousin, I'm very transparent about the type of kid that I was because when yeah. I was a kid, I used to idealize my parents and my family members. And right. when you idealize the people who came before you, you don't realize that they're people too. And it can make you hide mistakes and, you know, make you think you have to be better than you are. So I always tell my little cousin, she's 13 now, she'll be 14, about all the times I messed up, all the dumb stuff I did right. and how that impacted me. And so it just frees up the conversation, I think, a little bit more. Um, But I tell her the same thing. I was like, listen, I didn't do my schoolwork and I was smart as hell. So we got to figure out what gets you engaged in the classroom. If you're bored, write a whole nother story. Like, I literally told her that. Like, if you don't like language arts or whatever English class and you do your work, go ahead and start writing your own story. Start doing something that, like, engages you because most times kids are just getting in trouble and no one's going to figure out why they're disconnected from the classroom. Exactly. Now, here is is the second question um, from my kids. So, from my 12-year-old, she wants to know, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Why? Not here. Um, That's my answer. (laughs) I'm waiting for the aliens to come down and pick me up. I've been... Everybody has their uh, crazy... I'm conspiracy theories right now. Mine uh-huh. is that black people don't really belong on this planet. We were dropped <laughs> off some time ago. And a mothership is coming to come and scoop us soon. I don't know that this is true, but I just want a whole other planet. I'm done. <laughs> this whole thing is trash. Um, that might be a bit defeatist for your daughter, but I legit am waiting for aliens to come and scoop me up. You can go you can point. go live on you can live on Mars with Elon Musk. He's weird. Can we just <laughs> <laughs> He can have the whole planet to himself. I'll choose another one. Um, right. She, she said he weird. He weird, yeah. All right, look. All right, look. Speaking of weird, man, did you yeah. see 
did you see that the, the Democrats recently released the new police reform bill? And to accompany this bill, they had a photo shoot where they all dressed up in kente cloths and kneeled, um, I guess, for, for a moment of silence for George Floyd. Um, they took it, it for, to me. I mean, it was it was bad for the optics. It didn't look great. It was it was weird to see these white people kneeling in kente cloths. OK, it was just like, ah. Uh, um, just give us the give us the bills. Just give us the bills. We don't need that. <laughs> what you think about? Did you see Nancy Pelosi need a hand up? Oh my God, it's a great clip. So there's a there's a video I didn't clip. I didn't see it. I, I didn't tag you as soon as we get done with this shit. Um, okay. So there's a there's a clip of her not being able to get up off her knee, and I just was like, wow, this is kind of <laughs> like this is real life. It. <sighs> I just want people to understand that there is a national black caucus. Like there, there are people on Capitol Hill who are representing specifically um, the black interest, what they've been up to these days. I'm not sure, um, right. but they could have just not did that. It was so upsetting. But to me, wow, <laughs> they have given me so much joy. Just seeing Nancy Pelosi with that kente cloth, they putting koofies on people, and then <laughs> you wouldn't even just if we're going to be this performative. Why can't any black person speak? Why right. you know what I'm saying? So if we're right. gonna be if we're gonna be performative, let's just take it all the way up. Let's do it Trump style, right? Put all the blacks in the front. Let's go front and center. Like if we're gonna do it for photo ops, let's just right. do it. So that was the part that kind of pissed me off. It's like so y'all even half ass in this uh performative solidarity. Right. This right. is ridiculous. It was listen, man, to me it was it was hard, like I understand where they were coming from, but there needs to be smarter, younger black people somewhere in those rooms to be like, this not, this not cool, bro. Like, this doesn't look good. I understand. It just doesn't look good. Imagine, so imagine when Obama was passing all those bills he was passing for the LGBT community mm -hmm. and things like that. What if you, what if Obama would have been on the front page of the magazine and a, in a, in a rain, right, in a rainbow tank top or something? Like I, I stand with gay people. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of like what it would. That's the same thing to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and my, my homie put that. My homie put that analogy on Facebook. So I don't want to take credit for that analogy, but it made perfect. It made perfect sense to me. Like Obama wouldn't do something like that. But when it's talking about gay rights, so like, why would y'all? Like, no. When there's like, plenty of people who are living this experience every day and can tell you exactly what needs to happen to have some real change, right? So right. being a mouthpiece for another or group of people is never something that's helpful, and it all just further kind of, to me, pushes this idea that black people don't know what's good for them, and they always are going to need white people to come along and help them out. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Honestly, the first is inaction. Just literally stop killing us. Stop right. these policies that are oppressing us. That's the first part. And then swinging the pendulum in the other direction. But the first one is just to stop what you are doing and listen and let other people talk for a second. This is the biggest challenge that white people are going to have because it is something that is ingrained in a culture that the white person in the room is the is the right person to be speaking. Yeah, that's um, going to be that's going to be an, an issue for them to realize, like, oh, wait, I'm not superior. And you know I don't mean? need to necessarily be the person giving this information. I don't need to be the person um, pushing this initiative forward. I don't need to be the person in front of the microphone. I can certainly right. be perfectly fine behind the people who really, really know what needs to be done. Um, and just like allyship is so much about just being quiet sometimes. And right. not being visible sometimes, which is just listen. Really just listen. 
it is really hard work when you've been taught that everything that comes out of your mouth is important and valid and needs to be heard right by everybody over everybody so right. that's like some that's some you know and even for black people being comfortable to speak about race in situations where it was not safe before is also like a growing pain that yeah. black people are just gonna have to get used to like white people are like no no come on let's talk about it you're like I don't trust it. I don't want to. And I don't know if you ready for what I gotta say. Cause yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat this shit. I'm, and I don't. You know what I'm saying? So like don't come to me looking for a conversation because you're gonna get it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna and, get it. Um, it's a deeply personal thing for me. We're talking about literally everyone in my family, all of my friends, every single person who's related to me who's ever lived in this nation. This is a very deeply personal thing for you. You read a book last week and now you're ready to have a conversation. Do you see how the emotions and what's at stake are not equal here? You right. can walk away from this conversation as a white person and be pissed and upset, but um, you're not actually like traumatized or, you know, you haven't felt like a relationship is damaged. I've never had a situation where I thought a white person was my friend and or, you know, even deeper than that, my lover or my husband or my wife. And right. you realize some time later that their deep core beliefs are extremely misguided. I've never had that happen, but I can't imagine how like hurtful that is. And right. how like, and I've seen it play out on the internet. People like pleading to their white friends, like, I'm black, you love me. Why can't you, why won't this thought process roll all the way over? And it's painful. And well, I don't want to go to that. I think that it's a little weird for a black person to be friends with a white person that doesn't get it. It's a little, it's a little weird. You gotta kind of, you gotta kind of step back and look at your relationship with that white person. Like, why are you their friend? Are you just a fucking the dancing person that they like to laugh at? Like, why? Who are you to them? Like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's really weird to be friends with somebody that you don't really get. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the whole, and the whole marriage and being in a relationship with the white person. That's a whole. We don't got a lot of time for that one. No. But that's all. <laughs> I'll come back anytime. Listen, she said, I'll come back anytime. anytime. I know, I know some, uh, I know some black guys that disagree with the term like you can't be pro-black and have a white wife. They disagree with that, right? Okay. But they, but they only go after the white women that act black. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they thick as hell, got a fat ass. You know, they got extensions in. You know, they right. wear the, 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 the foundation and the bronzer that makes them look a certain way. They wear the ghetto nails just like me. They, um, they, they dress like Cardi B or whoever else. They always got the hourglass, you know, whatever, uh -huh. a Kim K clone. Um, but that's also something that we need to talk about, you know. Um, Listen. We don't have time, but yes, Listen, I agree. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, and I preach this. I preach this all the time on my platforms. I love black women. I have never, I have never been in a relationship with a woman that wasn't a black woman. My mom, my mom is a black woman. My kids are black. My kids are black. Young ladies, like I love all black, except for Candace Owens. I love all black women. Like you know, what I'm saying? Yeah, again, <laughs> if you're not following Alan, that meme sent me. I was just like, oh my god, so many things, amazing. What is it? I love, I love all black women except for Candace Owens or something. <laughs> Like Amazing. I don't, I don't like to tear down black people publicly, mm. publicly. I but that was the, that was the most loving way that I could do that to her. Like that, was, like, like she'd be tripping, man. So, she'd be tripping. 
Yeah, we talk about, I mean, friendships are one thing because you can say, all right, girl, goodbye. I'm going home. You're going home, whatever. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about building a family. That's every day, all day. When I come home, not nowadays because I'm here in the house all the time. But yeah. when I'm when I come home, I love that I can talk to my black boyfriend about all the black bullshit that has happened to me. And maybe there's a day where that's just not going to exist, and those really difficult conversations won't need to be happening. Right. But part of being in a romantic relationship is having someone who will support you. If I come home and I say, "Oh my God, I can't believe this this terrible racist thing happened to me," and they return with, "Well, are we sure that it was really about race?" <laughs> We fighting. <laughs> we are fighting. There is some deep personal work. Like, I need a divorce. I got to get, get a divorce. Out. Get out. Go. Go. And my kids, they're going to take my side. Trust. Like, the whole family is dismantled. It's over. Um, so there's, so there's so much work that I think white people need to do, right, yeah. to be in an honest like radically honest relationship with a black person. And it's a lot of work to sit here because I, I talk my shit, you know, right. if, I, if I'm saying white people are crazy, then you just gotta be like, you right. <laughs> you just gotta, right. But you can't constantly argue me about my personal experiences in this country. And so I don't know how that works. I've never seen how it plays out, but it seems like not a fun thing to have to do. Or you just Listen. live in a delusion and act like race is not a thing and we got these mixed babies and everything. So Listen, race race is definitely a thing. And as a black man trying to survive the ills of this world, I cannot imagine coming home and laying my head on some pink nipples. Like I just can't like, uh, like baby, it'll be all right. <laughs> you know, but we see these protests, white women have been coming out in droves, specifically in support of black men. And there's right. always this connotation to like their penis. And it's just it's really weird. And it's really just like why aren't white feminists coming out for black women? You know, like what? what why is that not something that is happening? Um, That's a good so, point. Very good point. I never, and I, I seen. The, I remember seeing pictures of people. I seen a woman protesting. She had a, a black dildo in her hand. Yep. Like, Huge. That thing. First of all, it wasn't brown. It was black. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't flesh colored. It was negro. Like it was black, and it was about the size of my arm. And I'm scrolling. I'm just like, oh my god. Like I'm. You I put that in for, there? I was looking for the Amazon link. She ain't put it on. Ah. I was bad. But she said that. Oh, Amazon. Um, but it's and I think that's why we talked about privilege, right? And this idea, mm -hmm. even between black men and black women, there is a measure of privilege going both ways, right? Yeah. And so the fact that people are advocating for you for whatever reason and not advocating for me simply because of this, you know, um, gender thing, it's something yeah. we got to look at as well. I agree. Black women come out in droves. Trans people come out in droves. Queer black people come out in droves to protect everybody, right. not just their own personal interests. So. Ah, I agree with that. And Nicole Finnis, listen, this is how we're going to wrap we that done. up. Okay. That yeah. was... This was good. Is there anything that you want to plug before we go or tell the um, people? Uh, yeah, so two weeks ago, we did our very first live version of the comments section, and it was a disaster. The live cut was, the live feed was cut. Uh, um, I couldn't get back online, and it was a mess, but um, <laughs> we still did it offline on um, Zoom, and it was it's really, really good. 
So I'm going to be actually um, kind of premiering the show that we did two weeks ago. It's all edited and chopped up and it looks really good. I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. Um, okay. And just follow the comment section because every month um, we're going to be supporting a cause for the month of May. It was the Purple House Project, um, which is an awesome organization supporting women who are affected by domestic abuse. And this month for June, Juneteenth, gang, gang. Hey. Um, <laughs> We're celebrating our black graduates. Um, so we're going to be putting okay. together um, some reading lists and some nice going to school over summer things. So if you want to donate to that, I'll have some information. But just follow the comment section live and you'll see all about it. Comment section live. Dope. Yep. I appreciate that. Before we before we go, I want to tell all the listeners, um, if you if you if you want to know what you can do to help out the cause. I mean, there's this there's, there's actually a, a fund right now. There's a grant going on to help black owned businesses. Um, if you would like to donate to it, you can follow the culture collective dot NYC on Instagram. So it's the culture collective dot NYC on Instagram. You can donate. Um, it's a grant to help out black owned small businesses. So if you hey. want you, you ally, you want to help out, just, just donate. You know what I'm saying? So simple as that. Um, Nicole Phoenix. Let me see. I got to pull up my outro music. My man. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, oh, look, people was commenting. I didn't even know. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh, outro music to the band of the brand. I want to thank you. I want to thank all the guests for tuning in. And where is the outro music? Here it go. Boom. All right.